0: Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to this podcast for College Success Formula members. I'm Tom Boddorf, co-founder of College Success Formula, the title of tonight's podcast. Are there any strategies for you to get more free money for college? My special guest tonight is Chuck Moore. Chuck is the founder of College Literacy Academy and is a charter member of our advisory team here at College Success Formula as our senior tax strategist. Welcome, Chuck. Uh, thank you, Tom. You betcha. Glad you could join us. Thanks so much. Well, okay, Chuck, let's start off with some basics here. You know, As you and I know, there are two types of financial aid available to college students. There's need-based financial aid and there's merit-based. Tonight, I want to focus on the first, need-based financial aid, which is a function of a family's EFC calculation. And just to clarify for our listeners, EFC stands for Expected family contribution. I've got webinars. We have video courses on that for all of you, but we're going to focus on this EFC component. And without going into any details of the calculation itself on EFC, we know that the lower a family's EFC, the more need-based financial aid a student is eligible for. So with all that in mind, Chuck, what can some families do to reduce their EFC, and in particular, let's start off talking about families who are earning totally W-2 income, a family that earns W-2 income alone. What can they do to reduce their EFC?
1: Well, the first thing you really have to look at on the EFC, since the financial aid application uh, more than 50% of the questions on the free application for federal student aid actually runs off your federal income tax returns. Right. And uh, so, therefore, to lower your expected family contribution, you've got to look at your tax liability and how you're actually incorporating or actually completing your federal income taxes. Okay. And this is what I tell a lot of individual families. Yes, some people have the knowledge of completing their own federal income taxes. That's fine and good. But uh, during the college years, I normally suggest individuals to get with a competent CPA to complete their taxes for them to get ideas on how they can keep their tax liability down to a minimum. And the way that you do that is to reduce your taxable compensation. Okay. So there are several ways that you can do this. Uh, For example, one of the things I would look at is that if you do have any exposed assets like mutual funds, certificates of deposits. Um, anything along those lines, uh, excess money into a money market account or whatever, any interest or dividend uh, uh, gains that you have must be put on your federal income taxes, right. which increases your adjusted gross income, which then increases your EFC.
0: In fact, Chuck, a good good point. The AGI, the adjusted gross income, that that's really – the, the key number that we're trying to reduce, right? That has a that massive impact on EFC. That is probably the biggest contributor for most families' EFC calculation, right? That is correct.
1: Yeah, they could care less how much you, you have interest deductions on your home, the amount of charitable contributions that you receive or, the, or uh, anything along those lines, what your car payments are. The colleges and the federal financial aid system as well as the CSS profile could care less.
0: You know, Chuck, a lot of families ask me, about debt they say now they give me credit right for the credit card debt i have for my car no. loans and so forth not at all they don't care they care about income and assets no debt at all really <laughs> that is correct
1: that is correct so if you do have exposed assets there and you want to uh, let's say not uh uh liquidate them or give them away or shelter it into a life insurance contract or an annuity or whatever one of the things that you can look at is talk to your financial advisors and put these particular monies um into a tax efficient fund that does not spit out dividends and capital gains okay so um uh that way since you're not getting dividends and capital gains and the growth that you're getting is what is called the unrealized depreciation, which isn't taxable until you cash it in. I see. Then it's not being exposed on the free application for federal student aid. Ah, okay. Another thing that you need to look at is seeing whether or not you're getting a, a, a state income tax refund. Uh, I've seen individuals get three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 worth of, uh, with the state income income tax refunds, which means you're overpaying the state to get a refund, just like you overpay the federal government on your federal income tax returns. But then again, if you get a federal income tax return, you do not have to claim that as income for the next uh, school year. But state income tax refunds since state income taxes at the present time that may change here within the next few few months right it might uh you know um you're overpaying your taxes so you deduct 100 percent of it then the state sends you a refund and then in the next year the federal government says okay we let you deduct this whole amount here last year now you've got to claim it as income i see so therefore Get, uh, get back with your, um, with your uh, employer and adjust your withholdings on your state income tax um, uh, withholdings.
0: So the mission that, that a family would have when they speak with their CPA or their tax professional, whoever that might be, is can you help us reduce our adjusted gross income? Because everything you're talking about is, is above the line, right? Everything below correct. the line doesn't matter for this, but it's doesn't everything above difference. the line.
1: That's correct. And uh, my favorite tool to, to uh, either increase income to help pay for the cost of a college education or to help get the IRS to help pay for the cost of a college education is that if you're a W-2 wage earner and you've ever thought about starting up some type of home-based business, now's the time to do it. Oh, okay. Because the, um, uh, with normally the IRS says, and you get this from a lot of tax uh, publications and such, you normally do not see a profit coming out of a small home-based startup business for, I would say, anywhere between the first three to five years. Okay. So therefore, any business losses that you can incur within that business uh, can now be used to offset your W-2 wages as business losses.
0: And that's above the line.
1: That is above the line. Also, one of the benefits here is to benefit the individual student. I asked a lot of parents, are you deducting your, your kids' um, clothing, their activity fees, uh, their school books, uh, other things along those lines, their vacation, their allowances and such, and of course— everyone says no <laughs> right. well if you have a home-based business have a legitimate home-based business and I've written an ebook on this oh okay is See. that you can incorporate your student within that business structure based off of IRS guidelines and as long as they do reasonable and customary work based off of their age you can then pay them out of your business and then let them use that income to go ahead and you know buy their clothes, uh, pay ah, for their car insurance and things like that. Sure, it's automatically a tax deduction against your business
0: income. Ah, okay, that makes so sense.
1: So you can pay uh, an individual child, uh, depending on their age and the job you've got them doing within your business structure, whether or not it's you know cleaning your office, going through your mail. Uh, answering the phone while you're not there. Just legitimate uh, work. Just, as just long legitimate as work. work and documented, then you can legally pay them up to $6,300 a year, federally income tax free. Wow. And no so impact to work. the
0: FAFSA either at that point, right? When they make oh. around six grand or so. No impact at that's all correct. to EFC. Uh,
1: that normally is right in the same lines as yeah. the students'. Um, um, Expense allowance right. or income allowance. Right. Student doesn't get an asset protection allowance, but they do get an income protection allowance of right at 6250 bucks. Yep.
0: Now, Chuck, you know, so, why is it that so many so many families are, are – I find them to be very worried about and concerned about – the home-based business and deducting a uh, you know, little piece of their mortgage you know, for their, the usage of maybe a, a bedroom and so forth. People are, are scared about that from an IRS audit standpoint. Well, what do you tell parents when they bring up that concern?
1: Well, number one, if you do have a legitimate business, whether or not it's uh, reviewing essays or uh-huh. writing how-to books or putting uh, you know, how-to videos on and uh-huh. such, if you go by the guidelines laid out, and normally there are nine different criterias that the IRS goes by to dictate to see whether or not you got a true business really? or whether or not
0: it's a hobby. And where do they find those nine criteria?
1: It's in the ebook that I oh <laughs> wonderful put
0: out. We'll talk they about can that can ebook later. Wow.
1: Wonderful. They, they can go to the IRS site ah. and look all this stuff up and all this other stuff, but— right. The first two are the main, um, the main points that people needs to do. Okay. And the IRS stipulates in order for you to claim legitimate business deductions uh, that you must be running the business like a business. In other words, have business cards, have business letterheads, have a uh, small uh, business plan. Um, and you're, you have a, a separate business account, things of that is a requirement by the IRS.
0: Separate checking
1: account is an example. Exactly. You yeah. don't need to, you don't want to commingle your private money with your business money. Right. Okay. The second major criteria is, is you're running the business with the
0: intent to make a profit. Okay. Now, 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 what if you don't make a profit, though? But you say, well, I okay. had an intention to, but I didn't quite accomplish that.
1: <laughs> okay. Number one, the IRS cannot penalize you because you got a crappy product or a service <laughs> that no one wants to buy. They want to know, are you making a reasonable effort to make a profit? Now, a lot of accountants and CPAs, they'll come in and say, well— if you don't make a profit three out of the first five years, then the IRS is going to come back in and instead of deeming this as a legitimate business, they're going to come back in and say, This isn't a business, it's a hobby.
0: Is that just a myth, though? That three out of five? Is that actually.
1: I have asked several CPAs through the years that have made that statement to me. And what I normally ask them to do, I said, well, if this is true, where is it in the IRS laws and regulations?
0: Show me the code. That's right.
1: Show me the code. <laughs>
0: yeah. And there are none. Ah, uh, so it's more of a myth than anything else. <clears throat> well, I've, I've, heard that is, too, I've heard that for years. It sounds like that's just one of these myths that just refuses to die. Exactly. <laughs> what it is,
1: it is a rule of thumb, what a lot of CPAs tell me. Well, that's a rule of thumb. Well, the thing is, is that uh, if you have a particular business here, and let's assume you were writing, a, let's say, an ebook book and trying to sell an e-book on uh, the inner workings of how your eyelashes grow and <laughs> fall out and things like that, Okay, and you're really passionate about this, and you really make an effort to get this out to the general public, telling them, you know, if... Uh, If you don't save your eyelashes, you're going to go blind, you know, (laughs) and really passionate about it. The IRS cannot come back in. And how can I put this, um, refuse you from taking legitimate business deductions just because you've got a product here that no one wants to buy. (laughs) I see. So so all they're wanting you to do is that if you're creating losses year after year after year after year, then the IRS may come back in and say, what are you doing to improve your situation where you can eventually make a profit?
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So therefore, you can say, well, I've subscribed to X, Y, Z on this particular subject. I've talked to experts within the field. I, um, you know, get online um, uh, conference calls to learn more how to go ahead and market what I'm marketing and things along those lines. And all the IRS wants you to do is to document these legitimate deductions. That's all they're concerned with. I see. I see. So, setting up a home-based business can be worked to you in in two ways. Let's assume you had a particular product or service that you give out to individuals. That are really needed, and all of a sudden, people start using your service or using your uh, your product that you're producing. Well, number one, you've still got the business deductions, okay, to go against your income that you got coming through the business. However, the de- business deductions can then be applied towards the profits coming out or the income you've got out over here, making a large portion of your income federally tax-free. Wow. Wow. So therefore, these tax-free dollars then can be used to help pay for the cost of your kid's college education. So therefore, even though it doesn't... uh, in this situation, if you do make a profit out of the business, of course, it's going to increase your adjusted gross income, which is going to increase your EFC. So, If you're going to a state-supported college or universities, they, they normally pull their need-based aid out from the federal government first and from the state. Very few institutions, public institutions, state-supported institutions, Do not give out a lot of need-based aid from their own coffers. Now, private universities are different. Right, right. So it depends on what type of school that you go to. Um, Another thing that you can reduce your EFC is what a lot of people don't understand, too. People that have put money back into a 529 plan. And let's assume you're back over here and you've got $50,000 put back into a 529 plan, and then all of a sudden, mom and dad now are divorced, and they could be recently divorced, or they could have been divorced you know, five or six years ago, but they've got this money into the 529 plan. What a lot of individuals don't understand is that the individual that completes the FAFSA has to claim 529 plans as an asset of the parent. OK, regardless of the beneficiary, regardless of who the beneficiary is. Okay. Now, let's assume you have this situation. Mom and dad over here has fifty thousand dollars. Dad owns the five twenty nine plan. Now, mom and dad are divorced. There's fifty thousand dollars sitting back over here into the five twenty nine plan and dad is the owner or the custodial of the five twenty nine plan. When mom completes a free application for federal student aid. She doesn't count that $50,000 because she is not the owner or the custodial uh, of that 529 plan. It's, Dad is. It's dad's asset. It's dad's. So totally. mom doesn't put it down on the free application for federal student aid. But there is a kick in this that a lot of individual parents are overlooking. And it's in question 45J of the free application for federal student aid. Okay. And it says here, any money received or paid on the student's behalf, not reported elsewhere on this form. Ah. So, in other words, the 529 was not reported. Right. Okay. But the money, the monies uh, in the 529 plan, if they're liquidated and they're used to pay for the kids' college education, it goes on to say that these monies include that are received from a parent or other persons whose financial information is not reported on this form and that it is not part of the legal child support agreement, in other words, child support.
0: So that's the catch-all kind of gotcha, <laughs> potentially, for some families. So if
1: dad were to pull out, yeah. let's say, $10,000 out of the 529 plan— okay to help pay for Johnny or Mary's um, uh, college education over here, right? that must be looked upon as untaxed income for the student and will be assessed at a
0: 50% rate. That's a heavy hit
1: there. Not a 5.65% if it's looked upon as an asset.
0: Right, 50% of that amount is assessed yes. against EFC. That's huge, potentially. So they got to be careful about that.
1: <laughs> so that could increase your EFC, which, once again... Increases or or uh, decreases your <clears throat> excuse me your availability for uh,
0: need-based financial aid. Yeah, that takes our okay. EFC in the wrong direction. We're trying to bring EFC down, but that's a that's a gotcha that a lot of families don't realize when oh, they're doing the FAFSA, and it can really hike up that EFC dramatically, can't it?
1: That that is that is something that a lot of accountants and CPAs don't know. Yeah, uh, a lot of individuals that are in the college consulting business. Doesn't even know. Right, right. You know, and so,
0: excuse me. I was thinking, you know, even if a family weren't concerned about EFC, this whole thing with setting up um, a home business for a family really makes sense. When you have kids going to college, I mean, if you can reduce your tax basis, increase some income, and reduce your tax liability, it just makes sense for for most families, right, regardless of financial aid.
1: I, I tell any individual that are, that are let's say, in their mid-40s up to their mid-50s, even into their 60s, they're crazy not to set up some type <laughs> of home-based business. Right. And it can benefit them in a lot of ways. Uh, it can give them an opportunity to set up their own individual retirement account if they choose. Uh, they can set up what is called a medical reimbursement plan. It's very difficult now to to deduct off your federal income taxes any type of medical expenses because it's got to exceed 10% of your adjusted gross income. But if you had a small home-based business running it as a sole proprietorship, you can set up a medical reimbursement plan over here (coughs) and deduct 100% of your medical expenses, regardless of what your income is.
0: Is that the same thing as a health savings account and HSA?
1: No, it's, it's different than that.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. Wow. So so it makes sense to really look into this home-based business concept, no matter who you are. And again, when the kids are going to college, we're trying to get a little bit more more money for college, reducing our tax base. I know a lot of folks call that a tax scholarship, right? It's like free money because you – would you rather send your money to Uncle Sam or to the college to pay for your kid's education? So it's kind of a a scholarship of sort, isn't it?
1: That's exactly right. And even with individuals that already have their own business, uh, they can basically do, do the same thing, is that they can come back in, hire their kids within the business structure depending on what it is or whatever. Uh, as well as they can set up uh, uh, under the IRS, and this is something that a lot of uh, CPAs don't even realize, is that let's assume you had a small business. In downtown Main Street.
0: Oh, so we're talking today. about somebody who has a business now that's has not, a business already, not not, not W two income from another employer. They're, they're that all, is correct. Okay, so we're, so this is a whole other topic then. another yes. Grouping of families. Okay, great. Yeah, a
1: lot. A lot of the ideas that just went over, they can incorporate these same ideas. Oh, okay. Over here with their business that they may be running for the last 10, 15 years. I see. But there's one thing under the IRS code that very, very few CPAs as well as um, individual uh, consultants even know about, and it's under IRS ruling 280 g That's 280A, like A, B, C, G. Okay. Uh, and what that is it, it is, it is a code that the IRS uses to dictate whether or not rental, portions of your home can be looked upon either as rental income or you can exclude it off your taxes. Oh, wow. To give you a perfect example, let's assume uh, you're working in your office uh, there, Tom, and then all of a sudden you want to come back in and get extra free dollars, tax-free dollars from your business. Okay. Okay. Without paying any federal, state, and or social security taxes. So how can you get extra money out of your business not being exposed to taxation? Well, under IRS uh, code uh, 280AG, you just change the way that you're having your company meetings. In other words, if you do have a business and it's an S corporation, LLC or whatever, the IRS says you must have at least one meeting a year. Well, under Form 288-G, it was basically passed, I think it was in 1986 or 1988, and here's how it works. Like here in the state of Kentucky, a lot of the individuals um, will rent their home out during Derby Week, and then they would move to a hotel or stay with relatives or whatever. Okay. Prior to 1986 or 1988, they had to claim that income as rental income and they had to fill out other IRS forms and pay taxes on it. Well, when IRS code uh, 288G came in, the IRS said, or the federal government says, this is ridiculous. This is truly not a rental piece of property here. So what they said is that if you rent your home out, your primary residence, anywhere between 14 days a year or less, any rental income that you receive from this rent coming in is not going to be looked upon as rental income and you can keep it tax-free oh wow so therefore if you're in your office and you have let's say a meeting once every month with your accountant your bookkeeper or even your office staff or whatever instead of you having it there at your business location have the business rent your primary residence out and have them come over. You can have refreshments and, you know, talk business. You can keep your notes there and such sure. and have business rent your primary residence out. So therefore, if you do it for 14 days a year or less, you're actually pulling money out of that, out of your business, federally, state, federal as well as Social Security tax-free. Now, here's the big bonus. Your business now can actually deduct that off as a business expense. So, therefore, the IRS says we could care less where you have your meetings, Uh as long as you have at least one meeting a year. So, if you were to rent your home out, let's say, uh, depending on what you and your CPA decides on, let's say, Twelve times out of the year, at five hundred dollars a month, that's six thousand dollars that you can pull out of your business, federally, state, and social security tax free. And if you incorporate your kid over here within the business, and pay them their um, their personal exemption up to six thousand three, you've almost got thirteen thousand dollars there just by changing the way that you're doing your federal income taxes. That's amazing.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so there's a, a lot of things that you can do, and once again, yeah, it's yeah. geared directly towards how you can complete your taxes, and that's going to dictate how uh, your EFC is going to be calculated.
0: You know, people don't realize how complex the Internal Revenue Code really is, and there truly are strategies that that most people are just completely oblivious to and are not taking advantage of. Right, they can lower. They're legitimate taxes. We're talking about the Internal Revenue Code and just playing that's, within their sandbox, as we say, right?
1: <laughs> that's exactly right. And you know, medical reimbursement accounts you can set up and, and actually use tax-free dollars to go ahead and, and pay for your uh, deductibles, uh, your co-pays on your health insurance, which is extremely hard to do nowadays. It sure is. But if you run it through a home-based business over here, You can do that very, very easily.
0: Sure. So there
1: there are things that you can do is that if you can't, your main intent of lowering your expected family contribution here is hopefully to get free money, not increase in debts. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Free money. So if you can't position yourself to get your adjusted gross income down to a minimum to where you qualify for federal need-based aid, and the free money there is in your Pell grants, your SEOG grants and things along those lines, or getting it from the state, and every state has a um, need-based grant program. Right Here in the state of Kentucky, we've got two or three. Okay. So if you can't get money that way, go to where the biggest pile of money is and that's directly through the Internal Revenue Service. They got more money than than <laughs> what the Federal Department of Edu- Education ever thought they'd have.
0: Sure, sure they do. <laughs> well well Chuck, you gave us some some great strategies tonight and I, I thank you for that. Um thanks so much for joining us and, and oh, all I enjoyed this it. great information on ways that many families can get more free money for college. Now, if anyone has any questions for you, Chuck, how can they best contact you?
1: Okay. They can either uh, give me um, an email, uh, send me an email at uh, tuition, like college tuition. It's T-U-I-T-I-O-N, the number two, like one, two, at bellsouth.net. Or they can go to my website, and it's www. – and now this is all in one, one – total love, word, collegeliteracyacademy.com and they can contact me there or they can give me a call at area code 502-721-8646.
0: Oh, perfect, perfect. Well, I want to thank you, College Success Formula members, for joining us, whether you're listening to us live this evening or the recording at a later date. And again, I do encourage you to visit Chuck's website. That's www.college.com literacyacademy.com. And I, I, guarantee you, you're going to find a lot of helpful information there. Okay. So as always, we're here to help you plan for your child's college success. And you can contact us at support at collegesuccessformula.com. So until next time, take care and may God bless. Good night. Good night, Chuck. Good night, Tom.